Join Sayla, host of Sayla Speaks Podcast, broadcasting live each Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Log in to hear information, inspiration, and interconnection. Broadcasting from Fishbowl Studios in the DFW Metroplex. Saturdays, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Sayla Speaks on Fishbowl Radio Network. Jump in. family and welcome again to Seal Speaks. I am here again without my blessed and dear and beloved wife. She is still um, trying to stay inside indoors due to uh, this, I, I call it a bug that she contracted. That's been uh, a challenge, but she's almost there now. And I give praise and honor and glory to our Heavenly Father for nurturing her back to health. Let us start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I bless you this day. I come, Father, to sit before your people, Father, and decrease, to allow you to increase in me, Father. Let your Holy Spirit speak. You said in this day and in this, in this hour, it is not I that speak, but the Holy Spirit that speaks through me, Father, and I endeavor to do just that. I bless your holy name. I ask that the people that will have a hear to hear will hear what the Spirit says to their hearts. I give you the praise, I give you the honor, and I do give you the glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Again, welcome to Sela Speaks. I, today, am led to speak on covenants. When I got into the Word of God, and I mentioned in the last podcast, I really heavily got, got into the Word of God when I was in my early 30s. And when I got into the Word of God, I thank God that I had found a Schofield Study Bible. And it was, I had a copyright that goes back like to the 1940s. I think the original copy on that was like 1908. I won't say it was untainted by human hands, but it preceded a lot of these newer versions of the Bible. And I thank God for that Bible because the first thing out of the blocks, and I mentioned the last time that I started in the book of John, I was, read, I was led to start in the book of St. John in the New Testament, but there were cross-references and these cross-references led me back to the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, there were footnotes 
And these footnotes spoke of covenants. And that literally helped me with my understanding. I'm an analytical type of a person. It really, really, really made sense to me. It allowed me to divide the Bible into different time periods and different agreements that God had made with different people along the way. And that really helped me a lot. I know there may be a difference of opinion as to how many covenants there are. So I won't endeavor to try to say there are six or seven or eight. I won't do that. Because the focus here is the organization of the Bible and what it all points to. I always tell people that when you read the Bible, no matter where you slice it, I won't say no matter how you slice it, but no matter where you slice it, it will bleed Jesus Christ or it will reveal Jesus Christ no matter what. So what I want to do is to talk about not about covenants per se, but just to use that as a platform to speak to you today. When we talk about covenants, we're talking about in the beginning when Adam and Eve were in the Garden Garden of Eden. There was a covenant that was made. After they fell, there was another covenant that was made. And under that particular covenant, when Adam fell, Jesus was prophesied at that point in time. Because it spoke of one that would bruise the heel of Jesus Christ, that being Satan. And Jesus Christ himself, who would crush the head of Satan. And on that cross, he did just that. He took the keys of death, of hell, and the grave away totally from any power, any authority that the enemy had to that point to hold the the world in fear. And now he has not given us us a spirit of fear, but, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when Jesus ultimately crushed his head, it was on the cross. So from the time that man fell to the time that Jesus crushed his head, there were other agreements between God and man. From the from Adam to Abraham was about, don't quote me exactly on these numbers because they're not exact. From Adam to Abraham, when Abraham was given the promise, was about 2,000 years. And from the time that Abraham was given a promise to the time that the seed came, that is Jesus Christ, to crush that head, that was about another 2,000 years. And since then, about another 2,000 years have passed until today. And in the Bible, it talks of or speaks of a 1,000 years being like a day to God. Think of that. 2,000 years to get you from Adam to Abraham, the promise. That was reiterated from the first promise that he would crush the head of Satan. When Abraham was there, it spoke of a seed that should come, and that seed is Jesus Christ. So about 2,000 years later, break it into two parts, about 2,000 years later, Jesus arrives on the scene, and Jesus literally crushed the head of Satan on the cross, on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension back into heaven to be at the right hand of the power of the Father in heaven. 4,000 years, or four days, if you want to look at it that way. And then from the time that Jesus Christ crushed that head to the time that we are now is another approximately 2,000 years, about two more days in prophetic time. That's six days. In six days, God did all the things and created all the things that he was created and gave all the mandates to all to, to mankind under Adam and Eve. On that seventh day, he rested. It was a Sabbath day rest. So we're talking about 6,000 years to approximately until today's times. And then we're looking at a 7,000 year, which he calls the millennial reign. 
And during that millennial reign, we're looking at a Sabbath rest, which is like the Sabbath that has no end, right? That seventh day, that Sabbath rest. Two plus two is a four plus two is six, and then that seventh day yet to come, which is a thousand years. I like to break it up like that. It makes sense to me. Once you get past Adam, Eden, Adam, you move into Noah, the flood, right? And after the flood, you move into Abraham, right? After Abraham, you have Isaac and Jacob. You everybody heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you have Moses intervening about, about 430 years after, after the promise was given to Abraham. But when Moses intervened, there was another covenant that was an intermediate covenant. That intermediate covenant was the law of what we call the law of Moses. Okay, now we're getting into the meat of what I want to talk about. You had a promise initially under Adam. You had a promise another 2,000 years approximately under Abraham, all pointing to the seed, all pointing to Jesus Christ. But before that 2,000 years came after Abraham that Jesus came, there was an intervening covenant about 430 years after the promise was given to Abraham to say, it's out there. <laughs> it's out there. But yet and still, because of the hardness of people's heart, because of sin, because of the lack of government of his people, he established a law to govern his people. It was never meant to be a law for us. It was a law to govern his people. Because when you get into the New Testament, it makes a strong contrast, a very strong contrast. If you want it in a nutshell, go to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians will lay it out very clearly, and it's a very short book to lay it out to show you and to tell you and to explain to you how to rightly divide the word of truth to establish the difference between law and grace or that which was under the law and that which is under faith. So here we are. We find ourselves with a promise of a coming Savior, a coming Messiah, Yeshua, 4,000 years after the infraction approximately to until the time that he should come. And he should take all power and all authority in his hands. But there's an intermediate time that the people of Israel, you've heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Under Jacob, there were 12 sons and 12 tribes. They ultimately became 12 tribes. They grew so large that they became 12 tribes. I don't want to get into too much of those type of details. But what I'm trying to speak of is a promise from the very beginning of a Savior. Then it was reiterated through Abraham that it shall come in your seed. And then Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, under Jacob the sons were born, right? And then under those sons, one was Levi. The law came through Levi, the Levitical, the Levitical priesthood. And then there was another son who was called Judah. And through Judah came the seed. Okay, that seed being Jesus Christ. I hope I'm not getting into too much detail or too much of this because this is the type of person I am. Of everything I've said, and I'll repeat myself again, a promise was made at the time of Adam that Jesus would come. 2,000 approximately years later, it was reiterated through Abraham that that seed is going to come. And about 430 years after that, there was an intervening law of Moses, which we'll talk about, and that intervening law of Moses held true 
until the seed came. So that was about, what, approximately 1,560 years or so that the law was there? Not exact. The law was there during that duration of time. That's a long time. Let's just say between 1,550 and 1,600 years, that law was in effect. It was strong. It was to be followed because there was sin in the world. And the sin had to be dealt with. Initially, God sacrificed an animal for Adam and Eve for their sin. And as time went on, sin had to be dealt with. Because sin had to be dealt with, the law intervened. And not only did the law intervene, the law intervened to make it very clear what sin is. Made it very clear what the, what the expectations of God, of God are. Very clear. Very clearly lined it out. But it is summed up in loving your Lord, your God, with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, your being, every fiber and loving your neighbor as yourself. And you can only love your neighbor as yourself the way God wants you to love your neighbor in that agape kind of love, not the erotic kind of love, not the filet, the, the, the brotherly love, but the agape God kind of love, the First Corinthians 13 kind of love, where you don't keep track of wrong, where you're kind, where you're gentle, where you're patient, where you extend grace, where you love like God loved. That's what it's all about. Christ in us, the spirit in us to help us to reflect who God is in this world. So now we find ourselves, if you will, with two covenants. One that is the law of Moses and one that is to come, which is the new covenant under Jesus Christ through his blood. But that covenant in Jesus Christ is just a continuum. It's a continuum of what happened Back at Adam's time, even as it was reaffirmed in Abraham, all the way through till Jesus came, the seed came, that still is a continuum of that same prophetic covenant. So God, from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world, already had it all figured out. He knew man would be disobedient and not walk in faith and not, and, and, and not uh, adhere to the, uh, the type of lifestyle that he had called them to. And because of that, God has made provisions, always made provisions. But before we see Jesus come on the scene, God sent us a tutor to help us to understand what sin is so that we would not abuse our Savior. Because the people perish for lack of knowledge. We perish out of ignorance. And God did not want us to be ignorant concerning his son. It's too much resting on his son. So he gave the law to the children of Israel. He never gave the law to the Gentiles. Jews, Gentiles. He gave the law of Moses. Understand that the promise is to all. When he promised that that, that, that Messiah that will crush the head of Satan, that's to all men, women, boys, and girls. That's a prophetic, that's a prof prophecy of us becoming children of the living God. And when he spoke to Abraham, that was another statement and a prophecy 
of us becoming children of the living God, being grafted into the vine, hallelujah, as Gentiles, and becoming one, no Jew, no Gentile, becoming one in Christ. And then ultimately Christ being crucified, the blood of Jesus Christ brought in the covenant of Jesus Christ upon his death. He died. He established that covenant that had been that had been prophesied from the very beginning. So rather than look at all the other covenants in between, I'm looking at one covenant, which is the covenant under Jesus Christ, the seed, which is a new covenant that has been established in his blood. And the other covenant that includes Adam, that includes Abraham, that includes David, that includes Jesus Christ, that one continuum of a promise. I'm just lumping all those in together. But there's one contrast. That one contrast is the law of Moses. Under the law of Moses, there was an earthly priest who was imperfect. And before he could offer for the sins of the people, he first had to offer for his own sins. And the blood of bulls and goats that were used in those sacrifices, the word of God says they could never take away sin. Could not remit sin. Atone? Cover? Whatever you want to call it, they could not take it away. They could not separate the sin from the sinner. Like I say, if you go to the book of Galatians, it speaks of a covenant of Moses. It speaks of the new covenant. And it talks about the fact that you can't mix those two together, not for righteousness sake. If you want to know, well, how am I doing under this law of grace, saved by grace through faith? How am I doing as a new creature? How am I doing by walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh? Just how am I doing? If you want to know how you're doing, yes, you can look over at the law. And if you are breaking those covenants, it does not put you back under the law. It's a mirror. It allows you to, as 1 John says, to confess your sins. And he, the high priest, is the one who offered the sacrifice. He is faithful and he is just to forgive you as the high priest. Because that one sacrifice, according to Hebrews, by that one sacrifice, he has perfected forever. He has perfected forever they that are sanctified by him. Jesus knows who he has set apart. And those who he has set apart, he has sanctified them forever by his one sacrifice. Yes, there's a relationship, there's a maturing. Uh, when you're a baby, you, you do, or a child, you do childish things. But when you're full grown, you put away the childish things. When we were in the flesh, we acted like children. Not knowing God, not being a new creature. But in Christ, there's a transformation in a new creature that is birth. And because that new creature is birth, now we put off our childish ways. That is, we learn to walk in the spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. Childishly in the flesh and the fruit of the flesh. Becoming mature in Christ, putting away childish things, walking in the spirit. So here we are with two covenants to speak of. Others, like I say, 
are comprehensive. Others are inclusive, right, of the covenant of promise. But when we talk about the Mosaic law, there were specific laws. We call them the Ten Commandments. But when you get into the New Testament, it speaks very clearly about the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ himself, Yeshua, was born under the law. <laughs> he was born of a woman under the law. He obediently fulfilled all the law in his life, through his life, by his life. He fulfilled the law. There are a lot of people that are still thinking that the law has not been fulfilled. The law is by works. And he who does the law perfectly can live by the law. But there's no one who could fulfill the law and live by the law perfectly. And because of that, one, our Savior, had to intervene. It says, cursed are they who are under the law. Because if you break one of the laws, you have broken the entire law. So don't be foolish having been saved by grace through faith. Don't be foolish having received salvation through faith. Because faith in Jesus Christ was shut up. It was not revealed before the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Thereby, all they knew was the law. Jesus even taught under the law. There are some precepts that he taught under the law that if you try to specifically adhere to those precepts, you find yourself thinking that you're contradicting some of the freedom that Jesus Christ has given us under his new covenant. Under the old covenant, which was prior to his death, it was taught, if you don't forgive your neighbor, then Christ will not, will not forgive you of your sins. It's clear that apart from the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And it is clear that it is by one sacrifice that the sanctified are perfected forever. One, sac one sacrifice. The, sac the saints still sin. But that one sacrifice perfected them forever and we just simply must agree with the Lord concerning our infractions. And he said, I am faithful and I am just to forgive you. He didn't say come crawling and begging for forgiveness. He said, confess. Confess it. That means that he will show you the mirror of your actions and the mirror of your ways. And when he shows you the mirror, as looking in a mirror, what you are doing wrong, he expects you to agree with him, to confess, I was wrong. Confess, I was acting out of anger. I was walking in the flesh. I was lusting after this or after that. Whatever the situation is, 
just like a father and a son, a father and a daughter. He is there to mature you. He's there to teach you. He's there to guide you. He's there to mature you. And ultimately, when he returns, he's there to totally perfect you. There is a kingdom that has been established. And a kingdom that was spoken of from the time of Adam, all the way through all of the covenants, even through Abraham, even through David, all of the covenants, even through the new covenant, spoke of a kingdom that should come. And in that kingdom, there is a king. He's always kind of referred to as sitting on the throne of David. But these are all shadows and types of Jesus Christ. No matter how you slice and where you slice, the Old Testament, all the prophecies, the Psalms, all the, all the books of the Bible, it's going, to be the, it's going to be the prophecy of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled every prophecy that was prophesied of him up until the time that he should fulfill them on his first advent. And he shall fulfill the remaining prophecies that are prophesied of him to the letter. Understand, people think that the forgiveness of sins is salvation. The forgiveness of sins is not salvation. The mystery of salvation is Christ in you. Christ in me. That's the hope of glory. If you have Christ in you, you belong to him. And I said the last time, that is foolproof. Because it is a covenant that Christ established. He single-handedly became the sacrificial lamb. He single-handedly is, is, is the Savior resurrected. He single-handedly ascended back to heaven. He single-handedly is the high priest. He single-handedly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He single-handedly is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He single-handedly is our mediator between man and God. That's who he is. He took it up on himself because we could not handle it. He walked a sinless life, lived a sinless life because he was the word of God manifest in flesh. He was led by the spirit. Justly, he did not fulfill the lust of the flesh, though he was tempted on all points, yet without sin. He became a curse for us because the word of God said cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And he said, if I be lifted up on that tree, on that cross, whatever your way of saying it is, if I be lifted up, even as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, a symbolic type of Jesus Christ being lifted up on the cross. He said, likewise, if I be lifted up from this earth, I will draw all men to me. He didn't say, I'll draw all Jews to me. He didn't say, I'll draw all Gentiles to me. Because there is a number that no man can number from every tribe, every people, every tongue, every nation, all over the world that shall stand before the throne and give praise unto our Heavenly Father, to our 
Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being clothed in their heavenly bodies and in their heavenly existence. What a wonderful God we serve. What a wonderful God we serve. He says, study to show yourself approved a workman that need not be ashamed rightly. Doing what? Dividing. Dividing. Dividing the word of truth. I hear people say, I just read the whole Bible and I believe the whole Bible. I believe the whole Bible. But I also believe the Bible when it says, this is a covenant for this dispensation. This is a covenant for this dispensation. This is a covenant for this dispensation. This is a covenant that is a continuum. And this is a covenant that is a continuum. And now under Jesus Christ, there is a government. There's a covenant. There's a kingdom that shall never end. It is a continuum throughout all eternity. The new covenant that he established in his blood. If you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, <laughs> many took it literally. And I've spoken before on this. The, the words that he spoke are spirit and their life. If you drink of the spirit, the spirit, you have life. If you eat of his flesh, which is the bread of life, you shall have life. Family, rightly dividing the word of truth. So do I have to follow the law? Do I have to be obedient to the law in order to be saved? He said, when the Gentiles who have not the law, because they're new creatures, being led by the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, find themselves doing the things that are written in the law, was it the mirror to say, well, how am I doing in the Spirit? <laughs> how am I doing? Oh, my bad. Let me go to my father and confess. Go to my father and confess my shortcomings. And he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. How am I doing? Not that I'm righteous in how I'm doing. I'm righteous because of faith in Jesus Christ. I'm righteous because he is in me and this is holy ground because he's in me. I'm righteous because I'm no longer a servant of God. I'm a son of God. There's a big difference between what people were under the law and what people are under grace. Under the old covenant, it was by works and works was not of faith. We were shut up. They were shut up to the revelation. The revelation of salvation. But if they did it, then they could live by it. You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, I, he says, I have kept the commandments from my youth up. I kept them. He thought Jesus was going to say, that is eternal life then. You're saved. But contrary to popular belief, even if you keep all of the commandments. And I can't say that that young man did keep all the commandments. Because it's the spirit. It's the spirit of keeping those commandments. It's, it's the motivation for keeping those commandments. It's not it's that it's a fire insurance. I say a fire insurance policy. That is, you know, to avoid hell. That's not what the motivation is. The motivation is love. He said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength being fiber. I just call it everything I can think of and throw in the kitchen sink all that. Are we able to do that? Not in the flesh. 
Are we able to do that in the spirit? Yes, we're able to do that in the spirit. Because the spirit has a way of mortifying the deeds of the flesh. That is putting them to death. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He purchased our body through his death. He said that we are purchased, we are bought with a price. The price of his death was his death. And he says, reckon ourselves through the baptism into his body to be dead to the flesh and alive to the spirit. It says he condemned sin in the flesh. Do you know what condemnation is? I work for a utility. And we condemn because we have imminent domain. Imminent domain. Uh, glad you asked. What is imminent domain? It's our ability to go in under the rules and the regulations. Remember, Jesus was under the law. He had rules and regulations that he followed. <laughs> and he fulfilled them all. There are rules and regulations that if you adhere to the rules and regulations, that utility can come in and force their way through your property and set up their own facilities, their own, their own facilities, their own infrastructure on your property, <laughs> on your property. That's condemnation. Jesus, through his death, has eminent domain when it comes to our flesh. He purchased us in his own blood. And he has the eminent domain. So if we would simply believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth Christ Jesus as Lord and as Savior and the one with the eminent domain, he will establish himself in your spirit. A consummation to know you, to birth a new creature. Hallelujah. Eminent domain. Not only does he have eminent domain to give you eternal life, he has eminent domain to judge you and you have eternal separation. Because he's purchased it. You're his property. That's just the way it is. We are, he made us to begin with. So we're not our own. We're not our own. And he's made it very clear that he has eminent domain. And with that eminent domain, you have two choices. You can choose life or you can choose death. With that eminent domain, choose life. It is a free gift. It is a gift of grace. Not of works. Not of the law. The law is a reflection in the mirror to say, oh, I need to, you know, clean my face. Oh, I need to comb my hair. Oh, I need to spruce up a little bit. Oh, I need to this, I need to that. It's... What you see, oh, I need to lose a little weight. I need to get a little fit. I'm losing, you know, whatever the case may be. The word of God is that mirror. It says when you see that reflection in that mirror, don't just ignore it or deny it. Do something about it. And that's where the relationship with Jesus Christ comes in. You confess those shortcomings. And he's faithful and just to say, oh, you saw you needed to comb your hair. I see. You, I saw you were messing with it, but let me come, 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 come. Let me show you how to do it. Let me give you some tender love and care. Before you start pulling on it like that, prepare it. Just go ahead and dampen it a little bit or put some detangler or put some whatever you're going to put on it because it's all knotted up. <laughs> it's knotted up. You don't know how to handle it unless I instruct you. And as I instruct you, if you follow my instructions, we will allow you to confess it and I will cleanse it and I will forgive it, right? 
and it will be smooth and groomed and well, well prepared. And not only that, ospreous in such a way that it becomes healthy, it becomes strong, and it'll grow. And I will teach you how to manage your hair. So now you look in the mirror and you go, not bad, <laughs> not bad, because the relationship is there. He is faithful and just to forgive that hair tanglement and teach you how to manage it. That's the same thing he does with life. He teaches you how to manage it. That is what the difference is between law and grace. It's a management of your life through relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. It's not about, oh, I sin, so if I don't get that sin forgiven, I'm going to hell. <laughs> works didn't get you saved, and those works are not going to send you to hell because it's not works of righteousness that save you. It's the imputation. It is God accounting for you righteousness through faith. You, you, it's, it's just like when you marry somebody, do you have to work to be married to someone? Or do you have to state your vows before God and before man? Same way with this union with God. It is a covenant relationship. I'm not trying to work my way to salvation. It is a covenant relationship, just like a marriage. Once I get married, I have a lot of things to work on. We have a lot of things to work on in relationship, to mature that relationship, to, for our love to just grow deeper and deeper and deeper with the love and respect, the same way with salvation, the fruit of the Spirit, learning to mature love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, gentleness, and faith, meekness, which is humility, and self-control. God is there to develop the fruit in you. He's there to shine a light, yes, on righteousness, but also shine a light on sin. For the word of God said that when he come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they have not believed on me. He didn't say of sin because they are sinning. Of sin because they have not believed. See, that's the faith thing. They have not believed on me. Because he knew there are none righteous, no, not one apart from him. So he can't, he's not going to judge you based on that. He said, I handled that part. Now that I've handled that part, I have, I have created a sterilized place through my own blood wherein I can dwell. And because I have eminent domain, I have the right to dwell there. Have the right to dwell there. But I would not force myself there. The day that you hear his voice, he said, harden not your heart. Harden not your heart. If you will open up your heart, as it says, the king of glory will come in. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. So, what was the purpose of the law? It was by works. Was the law imperfect? Was it unholy? Absolutely not. It is holy, it is just, it is good. It's just that the people that tried to keep the law were not new creatures. They were not sons of God. They were not led by the Spirit. Dustly, they had no 
choice but to fulfill the lust of the flesh. The blood of bulls and goats under the law could never take away sin. The word of God said because if it could have, one sacrifice would have done it. One sacrifice would have done it. And there would have been no more conscious of sin reigning over them. Under the new covenant, we should not have the conscience of sin reigning over us. Jesus Christ has established eminent domain. Jesus Christ reigns over us with his word and with his spirit. We are to seek after the spirit. To walk by the spirit, in the spirit, with the spirit. And that's the only way that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Yes, Paul talked about that. In the book of Corinthians, excuse me, in the book of Romans. He talked about how everything he tried to do fell short. And it was not until he gave his life over to the spirit that he was able to have dominion over the flesh. Walking in the spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Family, I'm not here for debate. As the word of God says, study to show yourself approved. A workman need not to be ashamed as he rightly divides the word of truth. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's not enslavement. There's not a servant. There's a son that has been liberated. There's a daughter that has been, been, been liberated. We're children. A servant doesn't know what the master does. He's just under orders, such as it was under the law. Do this, do this, do this, do this. If you don't do this, then this is the consequence of not doing this. That's the way it was in the Garden of Eden. But as soon as Adam didn't do what he was instructed to do, Jesus immediately covered him, covered him with the sacrifice of an animal, covered him and covered Eve as well, and then gave him a promise of redemption immediately. He says, I'll take it from here. I'll take it from here. I'll take it from here. So when the law came, it came as a tutor to show us the difference between right and wrong. It did not come to make us righteous because we did not have the ability to, to fulfill the law in perfect obedience. We did not have the capability of doing that. So Jesus came and he did it. But before he did it, and I mentioned in an earlier podcast that if you don't know the purpose of something, you're bound to pervert it. You're bound to abuse it. And there's already enough abuse going on with the body of Christ. When I say the body of Christ, there's enough abuse going on with the word of God, the message of Jesus Christ. There's enough abuse going on with the many different gospels that are being preached today. There's enough abuse going on as it is. And that's what the law there with plain English to tell you the difference between right and wrong. And that's assuming 
that we would receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and be changed, that we become a new creature. And those that have been changed are those that choose to walk in with by the Spirit so that in doing so, they do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You have two covenants that are contrasting one another. The law is not of faith, but the man who can perfectly do them can live by them. There has not been any man apart from Jesus Christ who has been able to perfectly fulfill the law. And if you contradict, if you break any one law, you have broken the entire law and guilty of all. Why put that kind of pressure on yourself? Why do that? Because if you're under the law, you have fallen from grace. You're counting on your own ability to do what God requires you to do. But he doesn't require you to do this in order to attain to righteousness. He doesn't require you to do this to become a child of God. Firstly, become a new creature. Then, seek the Spirit. The washing of water by the word. Walk by faith and not by sight. So that you find yourself ticking off these things. Ticking off these things. Fulfilling these things. Even though you're not under the law. It shows that Jesus Christ is writing the spirit and the intent of those laws in your heart. Yeah, the same ones. (laughs) But a totally different approach. He said, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, here I go, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your might, with all your fiber, with all your being, with everything you got. And since you can't necessarily, you can't do that in the flesh, then you have to count on the Holy Spirit to get you there. And when you count on the Holy Spirit to get you there, again, your salvation is foolproof. He says he seals you to the day of redemption of that purchased possession. The one that he established eminent domain. The one that he says you're no longer your own for you have been purchased. You have been bought with the price of his flesh and of his blood. The scourging and the bleeding and the nail scarred hands and feet. But apart from the shedding of blood, there would have been no remission, no sending away. Sending away as far as the east is from the west. Sending away from infinity to infinity. Sending it away from the one who sinned. While the world was already and yet in sin, Christ died. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He became a curse for us. All our sins were placed on him. But sins being forgiven, again, is not salvation. (laughs) It is a prerequisite to salvation. But it is not salvation. Because now Jesus can take that vessel that he's established, eminent domain, and he can prepare himself to dwell there. All he needs you to do is to believe upon him with your heart. Confess him as Lord and confess him as the word of God. Confess him as the son of God. Confess him as the image of the living God. 
Confess him as the resurrection and the life. Confess him as the high priest and Lord. Confess him as God in the flesh. The word of God in the flesh. Confess him. Knowing that all power in heaven and earth is in his hand. Confess him and then and only then can you confess your sin and he is faithful and just to continually forgive you of it. Because you have to be in fellowship with him and you're not in fellowship with him if he doesn't know you. And how does he know you? He knows you by a consummation that takes place when you receive the spirit of the living God into your spirit. Your spirit is changed. Your spirit is changed. You become a new creature. Living, breathing, new creature. Waiting for the day that Jesus returns to change our natural bodies. Hallelujah. The day that he comes back to clothe on us with a heavenly body. Until that day. And like I say, approximately 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham's promise. Approximately 2,000 years from Abraham's promise to the Messiah. Approximately 2,000 years from the Messiah to where we stand now. 6,000 years equivalent to six days. 7,000 years, the 7,000 year is strongly believed to be a Sabbath rest. The government of Jesus Christ is already established. He has all power in heaven and earth in his hands. He has taken the keys of death and of hell and of the grave. All has been given to him. What was it that he descended into the lower parts of the earth? He is the same that ascended into the heavenlies. He is the same that the Father said it pleases him that in him all fullness should dwell. That's why we speak of Jesus Christ. That's why we say when we have, have the Son, we have the Father. If we don't have the Son, we don't have the Father. If we have the Son, we have life. If we don't have the Son, we don't have the Word. If we don't have the word, we don't have life. You must hear with your ears. And it penetrates into the soil of your soul and into your spirit. And you know that you know that you know that you have been convicted. He said, I convict the world of sin because they have not believed on me of righteousness because I go to the Father and I am the righteous one. Hallelujah. I impute righteousness. It's not by the works of the law. It is by me. I'm the high priest. I forgive sins. I impute righteousness. And judgment, I judge Satan. I have judged the world. I have judged sin. And now, when I come back, it's not to judge sin. I'm coming back to impart life. I'm coming back to determine, of course, I already know, to show those who believed and received and those who who did not believe even though I knocked and they heard and they chose not to believe. I'm going to take a short break and I'll be right back to close.
let your beam shine your light, your light, shine your light, 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 light. Shine your light, 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 light. Spread your love, love, love. Family, I bless the Lord. I know I get a little excited. That's <laughs> just the way it is. Like I say, when you're led by the Spirit, you do not, do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I mean, in my natural person, I'm quiet, very quiet. But when I speak of the Word of God, I become very zealous of it. I just become filled. I ask Him to allow me to decrease and allow the Spirit of the living God to speak in that moment, in that hour. That is why I just sit here and I speak to you. Speak to you. Because I trust him like that. I bless him today. I bless him that he has spoken to you in terms of covenants and how you rightly divide the word of truth. How that not every covenant was intended for you. <laughs> it is intended for the body of Christ. But for you to single out covenants that don't pertain to you specifically pertain to you yes Adam he gave us hope of a common savior and a prophecy of a common savior as time moved on through Abraham he did confirm that covenant because of the seed not as seed not seeds as many but seed as one that being Jesus Christ ultimately through David and on through Jesus Christ finally the seed was established about 4,000 years later. And in summary, we're 2,000 years beyond that. And now we're looking for that last thousand years where righteousness reigns. But righteousness already reigns because the kingdom has already been established. We're already ambassadors of the kingdom. We're already kings and priests in the kingdom. It's just that we're doing it in these natural bodies right now. And it's not flawless. It is flawed. We see now as through a glass dimly. But when we see him face to face, we shall know even as we are known and we shall be changed. And in that state, we shall be able to walk even as he walked. But until then, we are to walk by the spirit, in the spirit, with the spirit, for the spirit. That we may not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And understand that there is a difference between the law of Moses and the new covenant. The law of Moses was given to the Israelites and it was given there to record, to make a record that shows how a good life looks or what a good life looks like. And in the spirit, if we fulfill the spirit, then we will find ourselves living that type of life. I thank God right now. I give you, Father, the praise, the honor, and the glory. I magnify your holy name. I thank you for this time. I thank you for using me as a vessel. Father, I'm not here to debate. Each person, that if they feel like they need to debate what I've said, ask them to go to the scripture. Ask them to seek, and they shall find. Not necessarily exactly what I've said, but exactly what you want them to hear. Father, and I pray that it will line up exactly with what was spoken, because I truly believe that you're speaking in this day, in this hour. You want truth to be known. We shall know the truth. They shall know the truth. All shall know the truth. And the truth shall make, not set, but make us free. 
Because if you just set free, you may not understand your freedom. But when you know the truth, it will make you free. You become free. And you know freedom. And you know your heirship. And you know your rights. In the blessed name of Jesus Christ, I do pray. Pray. Amen. Thank you. Join Sayla, host of Sayla Speaks Podcast, broadcasting live each Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Log in to hear information, inspiration, and interconnection. Broadcasting from Fishbowl Studios in the DFW Metroplex. Saturdays, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Sayla Speaks on Fishbowl Radio Network. Jump in.